There are those who say that life is an illusion, and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. Look who the birds have brought us this week. Welcome, and congratulations for crossing the threshold of realities. There's much to share if you know the language of the birds. Welcome back to the Godbox Cafe. This is your host, Valkyrie. And we have a special surprise for you today. We are going to be talking about equilibrium. Equilibrium on all fronts, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental. And our guest can certainly attest to the fact that that is something that one needs to try on a daily basis to arrive at and maintain. I'd like you all to give a big welcome to my dear soul brother from Detroit, musician, astrologer, and extraordinary human being, Joseph Slanda. Welcome to the Godbox Cafe, Joseph. Well, well, greetings to you too, and thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. We've threatened to do this for a long, we did it a long time ago, and we've threatened to do it many times, but maybe this, perhaps the stars have aligned today, that today's a day that we are actually doing it. I should look at the chart and see what that's about. Well, since I'm a Scorpio and it's a Scorpio sun, it only makes sense. And Mars is in Scorpio, so Mars has added some flame to catalytic components on the celestial level to make this a reality. So I am very glad that you have been able, with everything that has happened and what's going on in this world as it currently exists through the transition we're all experiencing, that we can connect in this fashion. It's a very special gift from me personally. I know you've been on this path for a very long time doing this kind of work on maybe not podcasting, but you've been doing this kind of work for most of your adult life. So when I met you all those years ago in Toronto, I knew you were one of those people. And again, that's 13 years ago in 08 when we were promoting the film and doing that crazy tour with Kelly Phipps, you know, barnstorming. And uh, that was uh, quite an experience I had with him. I'm glad I had it because who knew that he'd be gone? And it would be the only time I ever had that alone time. I was one-on-one with him when we did that tour, you know, and we hit several cities and we were driving together and talking together. And you know, I knew I learned his biography from that trip. And we one day we should do a podcast about Kelly and talk about his chart and his transits at the time of his stroke and uh, his uh, brain cancer and all that stuff, because uh, it's quite a story, too. There's no question. Sometimes the bright lights are the ones that burn out the quickest. And I am, I am, it was a magical, magical time that I look with great fondness on and think back quite often. Again, everyone I met on that trip, we went to Chicago, we went to Cleveland. We did several cities, and uh, everyone who championed him was someone that saw what he had to bring to the table. They were all uniquely beautiful people that, because, you know, everyone everyone didn't help when he had that film out. He had a lot of obstacles in that whole process. And uh, matter of fact, Chris Brennan just spoke about on his astrology podcast show about Jupiter. Most people will talk about the shadow of Jupiter when they talk about Kelly and they forget the brilliance of Jupiter and the beauty of Jupiter, you know, and, and what it can do and what the optimism can, what people can do when they believe they can do something. I called Chris, I haven't spoken to him, I, but I called him yesterday just to thank him for 
you know, bringing that side of it out because it's pretty remarkable just that he manifested that film and created it and was able to learn all the things he had to learn to author it, to shoot it, you know, forget how it turned out. The task itself was remarkable. That's what belief can do. And that's true for a stroke or for making a film, <laughs> recovering from an illness, you know, a health crisis or making a movie. It takes crazy belief to believe you can do something extraordinary. Well, you're a, a special bright light yourself, Joseph. So could you share with the audience the challenge that you most recently faced with respect to what happened to you, which in some ways uh, parallels Kelly's circumstances in terms of circulatory issues? Almost two years ago, I had a stroke. You know, my whole life was turned upside down, and I've been in a recovery process since that time. And of course, you know, in America, the health system is not very good for those who don't have great insurance. Even if you have insurance, I don't know how it is in Canada because I'm not Canadian, but in America, it's all driven by an actuary, you know, by an insurance company. So you get most of what you get in therapy is measuring you for the insurance company. So when they cut you loose, you know, they measure your progress just to say, oops, he's hit the threshold and he's got to go. And the truth is most of us need a lot more care at that point. And because I'm a patient advocate and a hospice chaplain, and I had been through this process uh, with family members and other people, I knew the healthcare system very well. I knew that the gig would be, well, you'll kick me out of here way before I'm ready and teach me how to get better. Because, you know, I would tell my occupational therapist, I don't need to learn to wipe my butt or make oatmeal. Okay, what I need to do is what do I do when I get home? Because 99% of what's going to help me recover is going to happen in my home. And you're not going to be there because you're going to cut me loose because I'm going to overperform because I'm a sun Jupiter Virgo that is going to beat it in the ass and go, you know, do that. I, if I didn't know that, you only know that if you've seen that. So that was my biggest uh, advantage after the stroke is I knew even when I couldn't talk or walk and I couldn't express myself clearly, you know, I knew that that was the ticket, that you, I would be the fulcrum that would allow myself to improve. And it would luckily had a lot of help. But again, astrology is in the stroke story because, you know, the day of the stroke, when I realized I was, something was happening, you know, I was able to get to my computer and look at my chart and see what is going on here. And the day at the moment of the stroke, Mars in the sky was opposite Mars in my chart. And of course, Mars rules the head. And if you look at the ancient text, Mars opposite Mars is a blow to the head, a shot to the head, a spear to the head. Uh, it, it, it's something to the head. So I knew, uh-oh, uh, the other things, it validated, uh, I couldn't play my picked my guitar and I couldn't play. But the Mars, Mars told me, you're having a stroke or probably something's going on in your brain. So that one thing allowed me to take action quickly because, you know, I would have like most men do, we talk ourselves out of these things and we all, oh, it's fine, this gas, you know, something, it'll pass. And I knew it was pretty significant. And I called my daughter at that time and she, you know, came to help me get to the hospital. And that one thing was major because I got to the hospital really quick. I would have sat around for four or five hours. That's why I told her on the phone, the traffic's going to clear and I'll wait, wait till that happens. And she goes, no, no, I'm coming to get you right now. So the astrology helped me know I was having a stroke. And that was a big advantage uh, because it, it, nothing would have gotten me to take action more than seeing Mars opposite Mars in my chart. And of course, I was one of the 50 million Americans without health insurance at the time of my stroke because I didn't have, I was uninsured. In America, we have this crazy system where 
everyone doesn't have insurance. And I had had insurance, but it had lapsed. I couldn't afford it. The truth of it, I couldn't afford to keep it. And I was waiting to be old enough to get Social Security to get health insurance again, you know. So at the time of the stroke, I had no insurance. So that was that's a whole nother uh, challenge, you know, that I had. And I knew it uh, immediately. I knew this was the problem. And even before my kids or anyone else understood it, I understood it, that, that this is going to be difficult because I'm uninsured. And, you know, the care I needed required insurance. I've written, you know, I've just finished the first draft of the book, My Sacred Stroke, which is what I call the experience. And uh, an editor, a friend of mine, read some of it. And she said, you know, who's going to play your daughter in the movie? Because my daughter really championed me and helped me. Uh, if not for her, you know, I would have never been able to navigate just all of the, the things you have to go through when you're uninsured and you're having a health crisis. And uh, that was uh, a advantage having an advocate and I was a patient advocate who couldn't advocate because I was not functioning you know but again astrology I knew I was in a critical astrological moment I was in the midst of a progressed new moon which is a 30-year cycle in the sign of Scorpio so I knew that whole year and I had a, a remarkable dream one of those 5k 4D dreams that you don't have often and you know this is a big deal because it's so big and I wrote you know, I have always been a dream I was interpreting dreams before I ever knew astrology when I was just a teenager I could I had an act for that so I knew that I had this profound dream and I know that we always dream our transits and our progressions so I knew the dream had to do with this progressed new moon in Scorpio and so that whole year I was preparing to die and be reborn again because of Scorpio so I knew that year I would have this opportunity to die and be born again. And I wasn't, I would have never picked stroke off the menu of how I would die. You know, I knew that's the process I was in. So when I had the dream, I made a whole dream board. You know, I made a document with pictures I got off the internet and I wrote the dream out and I sent it to my Jungian friends. I happen to know several Jungian analysts out in the world. I sent it to Rick Tarnas, the great Rick Tarnas who wrote uh, Cosmos and Psyche. Pastor Lesterman, who's a dear friend, he's from Michigan, and he's a, uh, one of the bright notes of the Kelly Phipps, the movie fiasco, I met Rick and became friends. And he, he looked at it, he goes, wow, this is definitely a Jungian Red Book dream. He goes, you know, my wife's a Jungian analyst. He goes, I'm an, I see architects astrologically. He goes, but she's like you, she sees the shit everywhere. So he goes, would you mind if I let her look at the dream? So he gave it to Yvonne Tarnas, his wife. And she reached out and we had a conversation. And I, and I knew that because I knew this progressed new moon is 30 years, how, how many 30 year cycles do we have you know, in life? We have maybe three if we live to be 90. And depending how they time in your chart where you get new moons, it can happen at two, it can happen at 29. And I knew I, I, it was a big deal. And, and I had talked to several Jungian people that I knew to ask them to interpret the dream and when I spoke to her, I said, you know, I'm told that I'm untherapizable. I've been told by many therapists that I am untherapizable because I know too much shit. So she goes, well, Joseph, let's work on what you don't know. And only a woman would say that, a woman's wisdom. And she goes, and I don't know either. So I, I don't know, but I can maybe, maybe, I can help you know, we can find it together. And I knew she was the one who would be able to help me work on this. I was speaking with her monthly. The new moon was in December and I was speaking with her monthly that whole spring 
and into the fall. So when I had the stroke, I knew I had that context of this progression of moon, death and rebirth, right? And if you've ever seen a Christmas Carol with Scrooge, to not be dead was really exciting, <laughs> you know? Like the death was metaphorical. It wasn't a physical death. It was a metaphorical death. And in the case of Kelly Phipps, he got the physical death. So it can go either way. So the fact that I wasn't dead, was I was very excited about that. So I was like Scrooge Christmas morning. I was just, even in the hospital early on, I was buoyant, you know, because I knew I'm not dead. So this is a metaphorical experience. It's not a terminal physical death. I was crying all the time, of course, because when you have a stroke, I call it the broken egg thing. This great book by Jill Bolt-Taylor, uh, My Stroke of Insight. And she was a Harvard neuroanatomist that had a stroke, a much worse stroke than mine. A much, she had a cerebral hemorrhage. But I read that book when it came out and saw her on Oprah and shared that book with a lot of clients having Pluto transits because how she approached it was just remarkable. Because she was, a, you know, you know, women who are in science, unfortunately, they have they become very masculine because they're in this masculine environment and they usually are very mental, intellectual women. And so to do that, one has to shut off their natural intuitive nature to be a better scientist. And she had done that. And the stroke broke all that shit apart. And she, this intuitive window opened up. And that was what she was having this miraculous experience. So when I was in it, I already knew that story. And I, I realized the way, you know, everything would make me cry. The light, and, you know, tears look like sadness to your kids, to your family. But the beauty of life was like, it made me cry all the time. The, the, the way my daughter's face looked, the way the light hit the window, the way my ex-wife came and visited me with them and the look on her face of concern. And they thought I was sad. So they sent a psychiatrist to see me because I didn't know this. But when you have a stroke, you're at a very high risk of suicide. The, the risk of suicide after stroke is very high because, again, your brain holds yourself. And when yourself is broken... It's hard enough to stick around on this earth <laughs> with the whole brain. And it's and I, I again I didn't know this, but there so there was a lot of, you know, they they sent people to see me. And uh this one psychiatrist came to speak to me on, on the second day after the stroke. And she's talking to me about, and I said, Listen, it, I'm crying, I'm not like most people. You've never had me before here. Okay. I am an autist artist, and I have this wide spectrum of emotional potential. I mean, that's what who I am. So I have this wide range, so I can go into this depth, but I can also go into this height, and it's not mania, and I'm not bipolar. It's just my, how I express my, my soul. And, of course, to her, that sounded crazy as hell, right? She went on and on about wanting to put me on medication. And I, says, well, are, I said, are you Jungian or Freudian? And she said, I'm Romanian. And I knew... <laughs> oh, boy! <laughs> and I knew right there that she... Any psychologist, and she was the head of this hospital chain. She's the top psychiatrist at this massive 10 hospital chain uh, that I was being treated at. And I, I knew she didn't know what I was talking about. And I said, you know, I said, you don't understand. I'm having this incredible spiritual experience along with this physical uh, brain uh, experience. And I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. And I don't need to be medicated. I'm, I'm loving this spectrum of what I'm experiencing, the lows and the highs. And it's 98% high. It's only 2% where I get sad. And I said, if you're not sad after you have a stroke, you're either stupid or dead because uh, your brain is different. And if you don't, aren't a little sad for the loss, 
but she did wasn't buying any of that, you know. So I, after I said, well, you know what? I really don't want to talk to you anymore. We've had a conversation. I'm fine. And she tried to put me on medication that they give people who are schizophrenic because my I have a sister who I was a guardian of who was schizophrenic. And I managed her meds for her. So I knew the drug. And I said, this is not a, I'm not, I'm not having a mental breakdown. I'm having an illumination for a deep spiritual level here. And she just couldn't buy it. So she came, I refused to take that drug. And then she came back to see me the next day. And after about 10 minutes, I said, listen, I says, I, I respect you. I really appreciate you're educated and you're amazing. I'm sure you do. But please get the fuck out of here and don't come back and bother me again. Because I know where, where I'm at. So she was not happy, but she left. And uh, it's very difficult to explain these things. You know, people who are... Uh, I mentioned the schizophrenia drug, you know, my mother was schizophrenic and I had a sister who's schizophrenic and I have that similar brain chemistry. And I, at a very young age, observing these insane people in my life, I chose to be polyphonic. I chose to embrace, I was an artist. I knew I had this bigger hue and spectrum of brain opening and that I would choose to make it inform my art and my philosophy rather than uh, medicated myself out of it. And I, I didn't do get high, do drugs and things like that. I was always, I didn't drink. I was always like, no, I'm not messing with my brain. It's pretty cool. I'm going to leave it be. But I'm going to learn to use these spectrums that other people may not have access to. And really everything I've learned about spirituality, about mu music or astrology or psychology, it's all been first to manage my brain and then learn how to be an empath in bars and alcohol environments, how to who was absorbing everything, how to have a filter, a bubble, if you will, my little, my scuba, my diving suit to go into these environments. So everything I've learned for a lifetime was to manage this brain of mine that I knew had a label on it that if I ever, I've never been hospitalized or medicated or treated for any mental issue in my life. But if I ever did, I knew the first thing they do is look at that checklist. Oh, mother was schizophrenic, sister schizophrenic. You know, we need to medicate this guy. And trying to explain that to healthcare professionals is very difficult because that's not their, and they're, they mean well, they're doing a, a beautiful thing. They just don't see it from my neurologist. The neurologist, I'm trying to explain to my neurologist, who's an award winning neurologist at this hospital, too, that the mind and the brain are not the same thing. And that my mind is fine. I can see it in the cloud. It's, I've always thought this before, I, I always believed this, but now, I was in it and I could, my brain, my mind was like over here, just perfectly intact and completely beautiful. And my brain was broken. So the gig was my mind is going to inform my brain to allow me to heal. And my spirit was strong. So my mind was over there in the cloud. My spirit was strong. So now let's, we have to fix the brain. And of course, the neurologist looks at me like I'm on crack and understand uh, what I was talking about, you know, and if one has a psycho-spiritual orientation, traditional medicine, they do great things. And I needed all of it. I, had, I, have, I have a scar in the back of my head. I had brain surgery, too, after the stroke because I have hydrocephalus. And I couldn't have done that with positive thinking or, you know, a, a, a sage smudge, you know, that had to have require a very skilled surgeon who was the most soulful doctor I experienced in my experience. A double Pisces, amazingly beautiful man who was my surgeon. And of course, I get charts on everybody in the hospital. They, I will not, like I told him, I said, you're not going to operate on my head if I can't see the chart. He let, and he was curious, like, about what I saw the morning before the surgery. I said, well, I said, you know, 
were you in, did you play sports in college? And he said, yeah. And I says, uh, were you a quarterback? And he said, how the hell could you know that? And I said, it's an educated guess. It's not psychic. It's not, woo, it's not like that. But Mars' son, people, surgeons, I have a big database of doctors because I do hospice. And surgeons are martial because Mars is the sword. It's the, it's the implement. The same kind of chart that makes a good surgeon makes a good athlete. But that kind of, of mind would be the quarterback, not a lineman. He wouldn't be a guy getting beat on. He'd be the cerebral, calm, surgical, have to process data really fast to make a decision before 11 men crush him. And I said, so it was an educated guest. But, and he, so after that, he, he rebonded. We were cool. You know, we were good. He was the one doctor that he did, knew I was weird and odd. But he respected uh, that there was something to this astrology thing. And to me, you know, the surgery happened less than three months after the stroke. So I had the stroke and recovered from, well, partially recovered from that, then had the surgery and then had to recover again because, you know, surgery knocked me back several steps. And then from that point on, it was just how do I heal my brain, use my mind like the cloud to download the stuff that's it's all there. I can see my dad is all intact. I had a backup drive, the mind. And how do I get physically strong enough to connect the synapses and use neuroplasticity and neurogenesis? I'm telling my neurologist, the war brain neurologist, I said, you know, there's neurogenesis too, not just neuroplasticity. And she goes, well, well you know, she wasn't sure what, I, what that even was. And I said, well, you know, it's cutting edge neurology that Neurons, you can't make new neurons in your brain. We know that you get a limited amount of them, but you can repurpose them. And we know now that you can do that. I said, you're a neurologist, and I'm sure you've read something in a medical journal about this. If I know about it, my award-winning neurologist most certainly probably does, you think, right? Because I had all this going for me, and my brain was broken, but my mind was strong, and my spirit was strong. And, and I had an amazing advocate, my daughter, to help me navigate it so that I didn't live in a box by the river, you know, while I recovered. And then it's just been, you know, now, now doing that, now recovering, now healing. My brain's different now. I mean, I had to relearn. I mean, playing guitar, I couldn't play, I couldn't sing. I couldn't record music, computer, even this, what we're doing right now, I couldn't do this. I tried to do Zoom meetings with my daughters last Christmas time, right after the stroke. And I could, I'd get frustrated because I couldn't figure it out. And I was embarrassed and ashamed that I missed it. I used to build my own computer. So, you know, it's just been the process of allowing the brain to heal the miracle of neuroplasticity that you can reconnect things and the brain can correct itself and the work of, you know, playing the guitar to get the muscle memory back and singing so that I, I will, I won't improve. My voice won't improve unless I sing. And I didn't want to sing because I sucked. I sounded terrible and I, I didn't want to do it. And only recently uh, have I been singing and only recently in the last six weeks or so, am I confident that I will sing as well as I ever did. Pretty soon, because it's it's I'm singing now and it's coming back, but it's all connected, all these layers of healing. And I'm just so blessed that I knew this before I had the stroke because I couldn't have learned it after. It's it's been a it's been a phenomenal experience, and I feel I'm very fortunate that I've gotten a master class in the things I was already teaching and doing and helping others do, and things I've used to heal my emotional, mental. Uh, spiritual self, an honor to not be dead and to have a chance to actually use the things we, we teach on yourself, which is like proof that it works. And so now that's the gig, you know, now, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future and I have to work. Uh, I know it's going to be this, talking about psycho-spiritual, emotional traumas and healing and astrology a little bit, 
I don't talk about astrology too much just because it glazes over the eyes of a lot of people that won't value what you're saying once you start talking about Pluto. And that's a challenge is how do I speak to a broader audience? And, uh, and I just I say I finished the first draft of my sacred stroke. I have some astrology in it where I talk about things we've talked about. But most of it's not astrological because I, I want the biggest tent I can. You know, I want people to come to it that uh, may not, you know, would, wouldn't go astrology and not want to hear the story. And it's sad that that's the way it is, but that is the way it is, you know. So Kelly was a, he was a zealot. He would argue with anybody about astrology. I don't bother with that. If you don't believe in it, that's fine. If you don't think it's real, that's fine. I'm, I have no time. To get, I'm not going to waste any energy on that person because they've already decided it's not real. Stick with those who, who do. But, uh, but it's a bigger story than just astrology. But astrology gave me the context of knowing what was happening to me, the death and rebirth that was real. I didn't die. And having that context is everything. Well, Kelly was like the John the Baptist of the astrological community, and he was far ahead of his time. And by the same token, what you're doing now is fundamental. It doesn't require a stroke to understand that the way that we think and perceive is being revamped. And the fact that we've been forced to stand still has made a lot of people start considering where their priorities lie and what is really important and what it is that they're really here to do. So you have found a mission and by virtue of having continued to live where Kelly is with us on the other side in the ethers, the challenge now consists of how do you choreograph your energy and time so that you balance what you need where your own personal recovery is concerned and what you contribute as far as providing the necessary support and inspiration to people who are floundering, confused, and frightened by the fact that institutions are dissolving what they knew to be true isn't necessarily so. I am a complete advocate of astrology, so you're in a safe space, and this is a sanctuary when it comes to that category of conversation. I always use astrology, though. I never would dismiss astrology. I of would course. never say I'm not an astrologer because, you know, I, that's, that informs so much of what I know, even with the stroke and all of it. So I would never uh, disown it or never, I defend it to anyone that personally was attacking it or. But I just in generally speaking, everyone's not going to learn astrology. That's the hardest thing. Everyone's not going to learn it and understand it. And some people are going to dismiss you because of it. So it's how do you find it? my philosophy? I reduce it down to a very small phrase now. You know, God is real. God is love. Love is a verb. Love is what we do. And you are either you do love or you don't love. Either you do God or you don't God. Now, this is great unless you're an atheist. And, and then it's like the God thing turns that person off. Or if you're, which God are we talking about? You know, because I'm a Muslim or I'm a Buddhist. And it's like, you know, I, I have a, a show I was doing. I've been doing these shows for years before the stroke. I was working on this idea of doing some kind of show where I would talk about spiritual principles, add some music and some humor to help people get the principles in a subtle way. 
subversively teach them these things. And, and I do a segment on God, the word God. And I said, you know, if the universe contacted me to build a website, I used to build websites in the 90s for God, I, I'd get God.com. I mean, that's the one. That's, but you never get it because someone else has it. But that would be the all-encompassing God.com. And every religion would have a page on it. Buddhist, even atheists could have a page on that website. But God is the word that I use to talk about the universe because it's the word we agree means that. And if you're an atheist, that's great. If it's, I guarantee you it's your God that I'm talking about, if you believe in God. And I guarantee that God is smart enough to understand a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Christian, or a Jewish person. We're all talking about the same thing. So let's not argue about that and just get on with what, it, what do you do with that? See, I wrote this song, you know, God is real, God is love, love is a verb, it's what we do. And I, I know that some people are going to hear the first line, God is real, and go, it's one of those Christian songs. And it's not at all. It's a song about, matter of fact, I use Nietzsche, I quote Nietzsche in the verse, and I wonder how many people who hear it would even know what Nietzsche is, but it's in there anyway. It's, it's hard to talk about these things with their existent vocabulary, because words are so polarized. And... I know you know this as an astrologer, that we're in this cuspal Aquarian age moment of time. We've been in it for who knows how long, at least a, maybe a century, if that. And, we're, and it'll take 30,000 year cycle. It's 15,000 years is the first quarter of it. So 7,500 7, years is the new moon of that Aquarian age time. So it'll be at least 7,500 years from whenever it began to where it actually becomes tangible to where the people can see what it is. Because it's it's we're in this we're in this liminal space where it's this luminous, undifferentiated thing. Now those that know it's there know it's there. Uh, I was talking to an astrologer several years ago about is communism Piscean or Aquarian, and he was convinced. Oh, it's age of Pisces. I said I don't know about that because in the age of Aquarius, we're all brothers, we're all the same, and Jesus was saying we're all the same, and the Constitution of the United States, which is based on this idea of all men created equal. I said that's very Aquarian. That's a very Aquarian idea. I said, so maybe we were already in the Aquarian age in the 30s when fascism came along, communism came along. You know, maybe we were already in the cusp of the, this new age. But the reality is it's going to take 7,500 years of that first eighth of the cycle before it becomes something that the world goes, if we survive that long. You know? So how do we talk about it in the meantime? It's a challenge. How do we talk to my two most highest paying gigs I did in 2019, before the stroke, were to school systems about autism. I, I played a gig for 15 years for special needs children, teachers, you know, the best teachers in Michigan, and I performed for them. And of course, I got the charts and I developed a database of special needs teachers. And of course, once they know everyone, do my chart, you do my chart. And I had this database and I had, you know, when clients come to you, they talk about, when am I getting laid? When am I getting paid? And then their children or their children. Those are the three things that a woman's going to talk to you about in astrology consultation. So this autism thing became such a thing. And I started seeing charts of the children. And I came up with my model of what autism might be in this moment. I hate the word. It's a bullshit word. It's like God. It's a word that, you know, can turn people off or make them not listen to you. I was talking to school, school districts, to educators about autism from the perspective of being an autist artist myself that had this experience of this multi-sensory brain that perhaps a whole generation has right now on the planet that are all dead because it hasn't happened since 1820, that Uranus-Neptune conjunction. So they're not, there's no one on the planet from that era. And the fact is educators would listen to me, a ghetto philosopher, right? 
who didn't finish the ninth grade of high school and had didn't go to college, shows you how desperate they are for answers of any kind to understand these things. And they're all connected. This autism thing, this Aquarian age thing, this spiritual renaissance, they're all connected because it's all moving and it's all shifting, as you know, at this time. And of course, you know, in America, we have the Pluto return uh, in America, which is, this is all, and it's not even exact yet, but this is all happening in America in the context of this Pluto return. Uh, This death and rebirth, this re-examination, this digging into the deepest depths of the shadow of a self, uh, in this case, a country, and being having a conversation about it. So you're seeing like a nervous breakdown. America's having this public, very public psychotic episode where just like a, for a person has it and they're dealing with their shadow, confronting their shadow and remembering things and integrating truths they didn't want to know. America, it's Pluto Return is making the country do this. And because America is this seminal North America, I include Canada and that and Mexico, North America is the seminal continent uh, at this time. It's happening here profoundly so. And if you know that, if you know we're in a Pluto return, that make, a lot of it makes a lot more sense than uh, if you don't know that. It gives you context, you know, for all of it. So I'm having my own Pluto uh, context, and the, the world's having theirs. It's microcosm, it's macrocosm. We're all in it together. And I don't think any of us need to be afraid about it or fearful. Because if you have context, the context that, oh, I'm having a stroke at my Pluto uh, my progressive new moon in Scorpio and Pluto is opposite my moon and Venus and my chart. Okay, I know what this is. It gives me context, so I don't have to freak out. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. I might lose my house, and I probably I'm losing my job for sure. And my money's gonna be funny for a while, but at least I have a context for it to go. Okay, that's what's happening now. How do I get to the other side of it and transform and have this regeneration? I didn't die, so let's get out with the resurrection. You know. That context is everything, having that context. And unless one understood the astrology, they wouldn't have that context. And someone listening to this right now that's not an astrologer is, is probably thinking this guy is out of his mind, you know, these things I'm talking about. But to me, it's just funny. If you have the context, it's like it doesn't bother me that that's how it might come across. And, you know, for years, because of my, a lot of corporate clients that are conservative people, I wouldn't ever they didn't know I was an astrologer. I didn't make that. When you met me, in fact, when I was with Kelly, Kelly was the astrologer. That was his whole identity. I'm, I'm a father. I'm a musician. I'm a writer. I'm a lot of things. So with Kelly, I would defer the astrology to him because that was his thing. And I'd be like the, the setup guy, the wingman. And I was cool with that because I, I, I accepted that role in, in our relationship. But I was a professional astrologer then. I had been one for almost 20 years. But I never told my corporate clients that because they find out about it because people would ask me things and I'd find it, I get all my gigs bring me clients because they found me an astrologer to my church. But uh, I kept it quiet because I didn't want to risk alienating corporate clients that might think it's goofy. And now since it's struck, I don't care anymore. It's like, this is what it is. You know, I won't be doing those gigs anymore. So I'm not worried about it. You know, I can be honest about uh, what informs what I know. And astrology is certainly a big part of it. But I'm sure to the, you out there listening to this, this you think this guy's kind of nuts. And that's okay, because I am. And you have to be to function in this world and not lose your mind. you got to be a little crazy. So I have found it uh, an extremely useful and empowering tool uh, on so many different levels. Believe me, my audience is not going to consider you off your rocker by any stretch of the imagination. So however... There's a place for everything. And 
you modify your vocabulary on the basis of who you're speaking to so that they will be open to receiving what you're looking to share. That is your gift. So you have that fluidity and capacity to adapt. The big issue that I'm seeing, and I'm in Canada, but I think as you pointed out, North America is a continent and there is no place on the continent where this isn't happening. So that whole point being, people are so afraid to let go of what they know, even if what's on the other side is a thousandfold better. So because they can't see past their comfort zone and don't have the courage necessarily to let go of their job, let go of their material wealth, let go of their relationships, whatever the universe is hinting at that would be appropriate to do so that you can do exactly what you did, which is transform as well as resurrect, not necessarily literally, but most assuredly when it comes to a person's identity. Well, you know, identity as an astrologer, you know this, I've had several clients in my lifetime who had lost a spouse, you know, their spouse dies and I'm a hospice chaplain. So I meet the spouse of a dead person often. I had, and when I did that kind of work, the biggest, most helpful thing that will happen in a conversation with a woman whose husband just died, or it's harder for a man because men just, it takes a lot more work to get them to understand these things. Women get them better than men do. And I'll say, well, you know, your identity, you were Mrs. You were Mrs. Jones. You were Bob's wife. Bob's gone. Now, who are you? You're not Mrs. Jones. You're not Bob's wife. So you're having a crisis of identity. And, and so the healing for you, the grief and the healing, is the grief is hard enough and all that's hard enough. Your identity now is, has, it takes time to coalesce with this new identity, this new version of you. And that can be helpful to someone that, but when you're grieving, none of that makes means shit, you know, you're, you're hurting. But the reality is that identity is everything. And we, you know, this is one of the, one of the biggest things I've gleaned from the stroke process and having my identity be very fragmented. You know, the broken egg is always how I, the metaphor I use, you know, that shell holds you in here and keeps the world out there. And when you have a stroke, the shell breaks and all of a sudden there's no filter and you're getting all of it, the good, the bad. If you're an empath, you know, and I am, uh, I was already getting it, but I learned how to filter it, how to modulate it. And then you can't, you know, and it's, it's overwhelming. The instinct of most mammals when you're, is, when things change is fear. That's just the normal response. It's fear and fear gets adrenaline to go and get your ass out of dodge so that you don't get eaten. And it's so hard. I, I it's, it's funny because I, I you, you you hope that we're in a time where the spiritual thing is pervasive. And I always tell people spirituality is not democracy. To change the paradigm, it doesn't require 51% of people. It takes about maybe, I, I, I don't know this scientifically, but critical mass is about 10%. If 10% of the people on the planet can align with a better idea, that paradigm will eventually spread. But, you know, it took hundreds of years for Galileo's paradigm to spread to where you know, the sun, the earth was no longer the center. It takes time. And, and, and we've learned with this fake news, Photoshop, auto-tuned, funhouse mirror, distorted media environment we live in now, that uh, having technology doesn't do shit for making people understand things better. In fact, it amplifies the confusion. So instead of being, at least while we're learning to use this technology, because it's going to take time, to, we're learning still. We're in the infant stage of technology. If we survive 100 years, 
this technology would be great. You know, we'll have it all figured out, but right now we don't. And people can't discern, you know, truth from lies and fake news. The fact that there is such a term as fake news. The fact press secretary for the president of the United States came out and said, there's different facts. There's different facts. Those are your facts. Well, we have these facts. That someone say that out loud into a camera shows you just how confused so much of the planet is. And that some, you think if someone said that, the world would have laughed out loud. It would have shook us off our access the moment she said that. But yet, if you're a Republican, yeah, that's right. Those are my facts. I like those facts, you know. So it's going to take, to sort this out takes time. And the fear is natural because it is, things are changing. When COVID was happening, and I didn't know if I'd ever write a song again, because, you know, it's a big, it's a whole brain activity. And I don't know if I'd ever be able to sing, play guitar, or write, write a song. And I was coming along, and the first song I wrote was at right at the beginning of COVID. And I read a poem by a woman named Kitty O'Meara, and it's called The People Healed. And it became a meme on Facebook. And of course, when I read it, I wanted to, who is this woman? I want to see a chart and I want to find out who she is. And it took me months to find her, okay? But I eventually did. She's a retired school teacher in New Hampshire. And the whole gist of the poem is that, you know, when this thing happened, some people stayed home, some people took up a hobby, some people read books, some people did exercise, some people meditated, and the people healed. So really early on, I was thinking, wow, this could be an opportunity. I was in that because I'm recovering from a stroke, right? And I would tell my musician friends and all my friends were freaking out about the pandemic. I said, well, I'm lucky I had a stroke. So my world already fell to shit three months before this happened. So I'm ahead of you guys because I've already, my, my career, I knew the day I had a stroke. My, I didn't tell anybody from, for two or three months other than my children and my ex because I knew my career was over because who's going to hire this brain broken guy for their corporate event or for their wedding or whatever, any, any performing anywhere. And I, I, th I was in denial. But I had to, to die and be reborn, you know. And so I was ahead of the curve. And I wrote a song called The People Heal, the idea that this thing, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's written like a story, but the, I don't say the name of the president. But the idea that this thing happened and there was all this confusion and people were in denial about it. But some people just retreated and they healed and they worked on themselves. And a lot of people have. It's not visible yet, the fruit of that, that all these people, maybe 10%, of people did step back and regrouped and healed. I have a lot of friends in the restaurant bar business. That's where I make my living. And, you know, if you read the news in America, there's all these jobs, nobody wants to work, they're lazy. You know, these, they can't find employees. Even fast food places cannot find employees. And people think it's because they're lazy. I've called, because I'm a Virgo, I do research, 20 bartender waitresses I've known over the years to survey them. And what I get is that now that they've, once you're out of that field for a year and you haven't had these rude ass people in your face, I don't want to do that anymore. And, and for me as a performer, I, I don't want to play in a bar anymore. I don't want some drunk guy to come up to me while I'm singing and playing the guitar and getting close because it's loud too. He's right in my face and he's spitting on my face. Do you know this song? And you know, you're going, I'm singing, I'm playing an instrument. And I, you think I should be able to have a conversation at the same time. And I can't say that because I'm playing. People in bars and restaurants who did that work, who got away from it for a year, they're like, fuck that. You know, people have gotten ruder in this last era. And, you know, I'm not going to just blame it on the former president who made it cool to be rude. But uh, people who've done it and got away from it, the, the idea of going back to that, it makes them, ugh. So they're, they're doing something else. They're resetting. They're getting new jobs, new careers. They're going back to school. They're starting businesses because of that. And it makes perfect sense to me. You know, the people heal.
So there's a percentage of people that go, nope, I'm done. And I don't even know what I'm doing next, but I'm not doing that anymore. We, we may be in this opening introduction to this changing era where this 10% of people did reset, but it's going to take a few years for those seeds to turn into fruits we can see. But they'll, they'll come. They'll come if we don't destroy the planet first. And it doesn't matter who the president is or what happens. So these things terrify me, the idea that he could come back. That's possible that he could. The reality is it doesn't really matter because if that 10% take hold and if these spiritual principles take root and people can see the difference, you know, the best custom, the best uh, advertisement for an astrologer or a yoga teacher is you. They talk to you and go, hmm, they know something. They know something I don't know. You're too calm. Why aren't you terrified? And that's what makes people want to pay you to do the chart. They think you know something they don't know. And you're way too calm in the middle of the storm. You know, context gives you that. So I think there's a lot of people in different realms who have reset. Let me see if I can find this poem because I owe you this. Now, Kitty O'Meara, I did meet her. I found her and I talked when I told her I wrote this song and she agreed to let me use it in uh, her poem in the song. And so the poem is, and the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. And her name is Kitty O'Mara. That's incredible, Joseph. I, I don't think there's anything we could say that would top that. One thing I'd like to uh, share with our audience, when is the date of your book release and uh, how would people be able to get a copy of that book? Well, they can go to jotown.com, J-O-T-O-W-N, that's my music name, like Motown, Jotown, uh, my website to reach me or on Facebook, there's Joseph Slanda. I'm on Facebook also. I still keep Facebook before it dies. Um, as my main, really, it's my main uh, network of how I connect with people because there's not many forums out there to, to do that. Um, but the book, you know, I just finished the first draft and I had an editor, but her son died of cancer. And so she's been unavailable to me. So I've been using software to edit it myself and I will need an editor eventually. So I'm hoping in the next 90 days or so, I'll finish the second draft and then I have a real editor. I love to have, you know, the music business and the publishing business are equally terrible. And it's very hard to make money with books because people don't read. They never have. There's a little secret for it. It's been known since 1920 that most people who buy a book don't read beyond the first chapter. Nine out of ten people who buy a book do not read beyond the first. This has been known. The publishing is just why the covers look so cool because they know they just want to say the book. They don't care if you read it. And the nine out of ten people, it even becomes a pop phenom. You know, they want to have it on their coffee table or they want to carry it around the office. Like, I'm reading this now, you know. So people don't read. And now that the internet has made most of these things available for relatively free, people don't buy books. So I don't know if I'll self-publish it. I, I would love to have a publisher do it, but I don't know. I'm an unknown publisher, ghetto philosopher that's never written. I wrote a hospice book, but it was never published. 
But uh, you'll be able to, if you, if you contact me via Facebook, Joseph Sland, S-L-A-N-D-A, or Jotown.com, J-O-T-O-W-N.com, uh, I'll put you on my list, and I will gladly solicit you when the book is done and try to sell it to you. Because that's what artists have to do, you know? they got to sell their work, their work and get paid. Well, consider me a guaranteed customer, and I'm certainly going to pass the word on. Thank you so much for allowing us into your space for this brief amount of time. We are absolutely saturated with great information that people are going to digest and hopefully be inspired in the best possible way to move forward in these uncertain times. And we, my friend, are going to talk again. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. My daughter said, you put a nickel in, in dad, and he just goes, you know. Bless You're worth you, far more than a nickel, my friend. Well, Bitcoin, maybe it's worth a lot more. <laughs> Take care, my dear. And you. Bye-bye. We used to do the right thing Because it was the right thing we used to be the one place where freedom stood But now we're divided And we just can't hide it And some can't even tell the bad from the good What kind of America do we want to be? Still the home of the brave and the land of the free Are we But now our kindness is turning to blindness And some can't even see the truth anymore What kind of a man